Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 88 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody has had themselves a fantastic week thus far. Grant Gordy is the guest this week. I'm loving this new album, as you probably have figured out at this point, and I hope you have uh, purchased it or listened to it or streamed it and also found out how great it is. Um, let's talk real quick about the sponsors this week. Peghead Nation, streaming video courses, and mandolin guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. They have a killer lineup of mandolin instructors with uh, Sharon Gilchrist and Joe K. Walsh and Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning, teaching everything from beginner bluegrass mandolin all the way up to uh, theory for fiddle and some of that crazy chord melody stuff that Aaron Weinstein does. All the courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, and play-along tracks. Join any of Peghead Nation video courses now. Get your first month for free. Go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's MANDOLINBEER, all one word. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. I also highly recommend you follow them on the Instagram. Uh, They had some armrests that were flying out of stock, and you'd know about that ahead of time if you got their Instagram because they talk about it. So if you were looking for one of those beautiful armrests they do, follow them on uh, on the uh, Instagrams and get the heads up on all that stuff. Ear Trumpet Labs, handmade microphones from Portland, Oregon. These mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. They have a whole new batch of the windscreens that they make that are cool. And how cool is this? Even if you don't want to purchase one and you just want to make one yourself, they have the plans available on the Internet. Go to Instagram and follow Ear Trumpet Labs for more information on that we also have pava mandolins dedicated to building for the impassioned player pava mandolins in austin texas beautiful mandolins and last definitely not least apollo picks nick is just knocking it out of the park there man he's sending picks to everybody everybody's ordering these picks get in there now uh, before the waiting list is crazy long uh nick does them himself and It's got a 40-day money-back guarantee, free shipping. There's no reason not to try Apollo Picks. All right, everybody, let's get into the episode with Grant. It'd be awesome if you went to Instagram and followed me there. If you hit subscribe on the uh, whatever podcast app you're using, and if you left a review, I would love that. All that stuff makes a huge difference in the way the internet picks up all your things. Go to mandolinsofbeer.com as well. I hope you all have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Grant Gordy. Grant, how's it going? Well, not too bad. I would like to welcome myself to your podcast as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'd love to start off by congratulating you on putting out this brand new album, Bluegrass and the Abstract Truth. It's wonderful, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to make. It's a fun band. 
Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I interviewed Joe about it. It aired last week from when this is going to air. But um, he talked a little bit about it. Um, do you have any kind of fond memories of this of this project coming together? Fond? Well, wasn't not so much fond. No, just kidding. Um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it was it was all sort of in my memory anyway. Pretty like um, easy and fortuitous. You know, the way we came together was pretty cool. We were all teaching at this camp in England called Sorefingers. And this particular group of people is, uh, they're all people that, you know, we all have kind of long standing relationships in, in various capacities. So I've known Greg, um, I used to live out in Colorado and I've known Greg since, uh, since I lived out there and we would play gigs together uh so we've been playing together for probably 15 years or something around there and i've known alex for a really long time um obviously i've been working closely with joe for for a long while now and so there's all these kind of cross currents and and sort of different like meeting points um of our individual kind of journeys and then we all ended up teaching at this camp together and and they do these instructor concerts in the evening and we all you know played a set together and had this really nice chemistry and it's interesting like you know that that kind of personal musical chemistry thing is interesting where it's like you know i i I feel like i intersect with joe in this certain way and i intersect with alex in this other certain way and with greg in this other certain way and but of course it's like the, the resulting thing is kind of greater than the sum of its parts. Right. It's like with any group of people, like the group dynamic is kind of its own, its own separate thing. Um, anyway, so it's just nice to kind of start with that or sort of lead with, lead with the chemistry. Like, okay, this is cool. Why don't we document this? And so fortunately Greg, uh, was pretty on top of like getting a conversation started when we all got back home and saying, you know, we should uh, just pick some dates to go into the studio. And that's pretty, you know, that's pretty much it. Like we staked out a little bit of time a couple months, you know, after that initial initial meeting. And uh, I think we rehearsed a little bit. We had like kind of emailed some tune possibilities back and forth, you know, leading up to it. But it all felt, in my memory anyway, it all felt really kind of easy and organic. Yeah. Yeah, the album feels that way too. The album, the whole album sounds very organic. And I will tell you now that The Elephant of Surprise (laughs) is definitely in my top 10 all-time favorite songs already. And that's not not an exaggeration. I have listened to that song so much. When Joe sent me, I was actually driving to Knoxville to go interview Lynn Dudenbostel and Joe texted me kind of out of the blue and like hey can you call I'm driving and then he told me about this album I was so excited he sent me a link to like you know the the tracks and I I bet you I listened to that five times in a row (laughs) just on that drive
a cool tune. And, and looking in the liner notes, it looks like you did it with the Matt Flinner trio on one of their music du jour. That's tours? right. Yeah. Yeah. That tune has a particularly interesting uh, origin story. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear it. So Ross Martin, the great guitarist, is typically the guy that plays in the Matt Flinner trio. Matt Flinner being one of all of our heroes. And uh, Ross is a, is a good buddy of mine. We played together. But anyway, I've subbed some gigs uh, for Ross and the Matt Flinner trio. And, and as I imagine most of your listeners know, Matt does this thing called Music Du Jour, where each member of the trio uh, is tasked with writing a new tune the day of the gig. I think you can't, like, you can't start before midnight the previous night or something <laughs> like that. It's like, you know, you have to, you can't, you know, you can't like recycle some old thing you've been hanging on to. You got to write a new tune. And, and but the funny thing is, like, you also need to be able to play the other two guys' new tunes, right? So it's it's actually a lot of it, it's a lot of work, but but it's really fun. It's a really incredibly great challenge, and and you know, putting yourself under that kind of pressure really it's different, you know, just like with anything where you have a really limited time to to get something done. It's going to sort of push you into some interesting directions, and and I've. So I've done, I don't know, a handful of those, maybe 10 of those writing gigs or something with, with Matt. And, and I've definitely had a couple duds. I had a tune that, that was <laughs> called uh, Blues in a Panic because I just couldn't come up with anything. And so I wrote a blues in the last like 20 minutes before the gig or something. Wow. <laughs> or maybe it was more than 20 minutes. But anyway. Uh, Elephant of Surprise was one that actually was was quite happy with. I remember we were we were staying in in Vermont, and I mean I don't really remember much about like where tune came from necessarily, but uh, but I specifically remember just kind of liking you know liking the way the parts fit together, and you know in in that context you end up kind of obviously writing for. Uh, well, you end up writing for the context. So like the B section in particular, I remember thinking like, oh, well, this is a good opportunity to use, you know, the, um, the let the bass take the melody and kind of have, you know, have the this timbral texture of like bass and mandolin playing a melody together, you know, things like I'm, I tend to think about that kind of stuff when I'm, when I'm writing. And then I went on to play that tune uh in subsequent years i mean it's been around for a few years now and i went on to play it with my own quartet with 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 alex and dominic leslie uh and and then i kind of rearranged it for a quartet um including uh you know with, with alex in mind and uh and you know had just kind of done it on the odd gig here and there for a couple of years and so the arrangement kind of developed a little bit over the years after that uh after that first you know trying to throw it all together in two hours before a gig <laughs> right so that's did, the deal with that one did ross let you know ahead of time he did it wasn't like hey can you cover for me and then text you in the morning you're getting ready to leave like oh by the way you have to write a song every day <laughs> <laughs> that's funny you know i actually i'm sure i i must have called him and like you know asked him like a bunch of anxious questions about like, Oh my God, what is this like? How is this possible? Am I going to be okay? Um, but I've been, a, I mean, I've known their, 
that particular, I mean, I've known Matt forever. I've known of his music forever. And I've known um, of the, the trio records, like since they came out. I mean, the, the first one probably is at least 10 years old, I would think at this point. And I, I remember like that one in particular was in heavy rotation in my car back in Colorado, you know, when it, when it came out years ago. And so I knew the concept, um, a long time ago, but never really thought I would sub in that band. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would have been great though. What a lineup that would have been to see. I wonder if there's any of that live on YouTube that you know of. I know a lot of those Flinner gigs, um, well, not a lot, but there's a few of the trio gigs yeah, that you can watch I the imagine whole thing. there's. Yeah, there's probably a snippet somewhere cool, here man. there. If I yeah. find one, I'll post it. That would cool. be great. And I should use this time to advertise that you did have an album that you put out called Year of the Dog with uh, Ross Martin. As That's well. true. That is excellent. So Thank you. <laughs> acoustic music world well um i think when i was around 13 around the time i turned 13 my dad who is a great guitarist in his own right uh gave me a guitar and kind of just left me to my own devices (laughs) (laughs) um and he might have, you know, he might have like shown me a chord if I asked him or something, but generally he just kind of gave it to me and, and, and that was it. And so, you know, at the time I was like most teenage boys who are into guitar, I liked, you know, Led Zeppelin and the Almond Brothers and Jethro Tull. And, uh, and I, but I knew a little bit about bluegrass. We'd listened to the, uh, the bluegrass radio show. I was, I was, Growing up in Portland, Oregon, we listened to the Bluegrass Radio Show on Saturday mornings on KBU, and you know my dad had like uh, the Tony Rice record "Cold on the Shoulder" on cassette tape. So that's actually one of the first things I ever remember hearing that record. All you need is time. All you need is time, time, time to make it bend. I mean, that's like etched into the sort of pantheon of, you know, perpetuity for me. And, and uh, so I, you know, I had some awareness of that music, but I kind of had to come around to it in my own way, I guess. And I went, you know, went through a period of like jam bands and that kind of thing, which was ultimately i would say it was really like helpful for me as a novice and unstudied you know guitarist to try to open up 
some sense of like what improvising is, um, you know, to listen to fish and the grateful dead and kind of hear, you know, hear what they were doing. And then of course that led me to the Grisman and Garcia stuff. And I, particularly that first record, that on cassette tape and then uh at some point i dug deeper into the grisman thing and interestingly i think this was for like my 17th birthday my dad got me the three disc um dgq20 set do you remember that yeah man and that was just that that was it that just like completely changed my life that record and it's funny because for a lot of people who get into grisman you know, it's the first, you know, the DGQ record, kind of the big one. But for me, the DGQ 20 thing, that's just, that's what I had. And that like, just completely, it changed my, in fact, the first time I met David, that record changed my life. And he said, well, hopefully not for the worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I don't think it did. And, and uh, anyway, but I mean, and, and because it's such a long record, it's three CDs, it, it has such a wide like breadth of music. And so I learned so much, man. And it's funny, all these little things, like I learned little things about like the way Tony Rice comps and the kinds of chord voicings he plays. I learned about like the kind of extensions that Daryl is likely to play in a kind of rubato intro of a tune, you know, where I'm, oh, I, he I can hear that he's playing like the sharp 11 on that chord. I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, hear certain sounds, right? Or, or I would hear, oh, they're doing a Coltrane tune. Who's John Coltrane, you know? Or uh, there's just like all these little kind of connection points that sort of flowered out of that record for me. And that, and that was really was like the starting point for me of like, and I also had I had that uh, hot dog. I had that one too. So I listened to that a ton. Um, but I feel like everything kind of bloomed out of that a little bit, like that bit of awareness that kind of you know just like anything you get interested in, you know, if you're obsessive like me, you sort of want to find out like, oh, what's the follow this thread and what did, you know what were they talking about and listening to and oh, who did they play with and and then. And it just kind of opened up all these worlds, including, you know, kind of started to open up an interest in jazz for me to kind of see that there was a big, um, a big influence of, of jazz music, various jazz musicians on, on these acoustic players. So, yeah. And, and then, of course, um, as, as I kind of got more into this music, you just, you know, you start to meet other people that are, that are interested in picking. So you form a little bit of community. And, um, so I met some folks and started to like make friends with other fledgling pickers and, and go to some festivals and, uh, you know, go to some like camps, that kind of thing, uh, when I could anyway. And eventually I went to the mandolin symposium, which was that, uh, sh short lived, relatively short lived mandolin camp that happened out in California, which is where I met David for the first time. And I remember like 
consciously or unconsciously really trying to impress upon him in whatever way I could that I knew a bunch of his tunes. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you go there as a mandolin player? Well, yes, but I left my mandolin in the car. <laughs> I just had my guitar the whole time. <laughs> That's, I know the feeling, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I definitely went through a little mandolin phase in my very early 20s. And, and now it's like my party trick. Like if I'm in a session, I can play my three David Grisman licks. And it's really fun. And then my hand gets tired. Joe Walsh, by the way says that next to dog, he doesn't know anybody who plays dog better than you. <laughs> that's funny. That's like the old mandolin vocabulary I know. That's a good one to heart. know. <laughs> it's a good, I mean, yeah, it doesn't get much better. So anyway, and, um, yeah, so that was a big experience. Like getting to go to the symposium and meet some of my heroes and, and uh, yeah, eventually um, got called to sub a gig for Frank Vignola in the quintet and then eventually got hired to play in the quintet get out of here that's a man so just just from that that meeting and kind of being like i know the tunes or well and then like every time he would come to town i would like go you know i would go see him and i would send him emails hey man i'd love you know love to come see you and he would always be really nice and let me sit in on the gig. So I got to like sit in with the band a couple of times. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. This was when I was living in Colorado and, and, uh, yeah. And then at one point I think, uh, I can't remember. I might've heard from, from Sam, his son, like, I think maybe Sam told me like, yeah, you know, dad says you're on like the short list of, of, uh, possible guys for the guitar chair or something. Wow. So, oh, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, and of no course, kidding. you know, it's like my dream dream job was to play with that band. Um, and yeah, and then did that, and uh, yeah, eventually, you know, moved moved to New York about uh, eight and a half years ago, and um, and being on the East Coast, you know, being close to Joe, I started working more with Joe, and and he had this connection with Daryl Anger, who I had met briefly, but didn't really know. Um, and we started playing more and more together and started, you know, Mr. Sun. Uh, so we did, you know, we did that. Another great, great uh, band. <laughs> well, I have fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's that band is really is really a blast. It's like, as Daryl likes to say, it's it's kind of about like we're just trying to crack each other up most of the time, <laughs> which is a good feeling. And you know, it's and it hopefully doesn't feel too uh, insular in that ambition. I think I think it comes across, you know, to other people too. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my life story. Did you go to school for music at all at any point during all this? 
No, I dropped out of high school, and and that was pretty much my scholastic career. Get out! Wow. So you're pretty much self. Are you self taught? Like with all that? Because you know, like you have charts and and you know, I would imagine some of that playing with Grisman could require some stuff like that as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I, I will say I really resisted the term self taught for a long time because I felt like. Maybe it was just semantical, but I was felt like, well, you know, you don't really teach yourself. There's like all these, you know, I would like hang with people and, and, you know, ask my friends questions and stuff like that. <laughs> right. And, but then I, like, I, I don't know, I've started to kind of come to be at peace with that term because I think it is true. I think I have had to teach myself how to do stuff. And, and so anyway, short answer, yes, I guess <laughs> I'm admitting that yes, that's how I consider it myself to have learned and um you know and i i I've also like had lots of uh kind of mentor figures that you know that have kind of helped me and kind of told me what's what at times and um but yeah i mean i didn't really start taking lessons until i was uh already you know playing professionally and had been for for a while um which i you know i i do i do try to take lessons uh as often as I can now. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then it, like the, you know, I'm a very, very slow reader. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I can kind of figure out how to make charts like on Sibelius with trial and error and, you know, but, but I'm definitely not like a sight reader and not, I'm, I'm trying to work on it. I am too, man. There's such great, stuff out there online for free so many resources like if i just spent more time trying to sight read like just the fiddle tune collections out there that <laughs> i mean it's insane yeah i mean there's such a wealth of information out available if you know if you have a way to access it um but yeah like with anything you know you gotta you gotta practice it and and um i definitely haven't spent as much time shedding reading as i have even with like you know, learning, you know, learning bebop tunes or whatever, like I'm going to learn them by ear. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, you know, because I trust my ear more than I trust my read stuff. And, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I mean, it's funny. It's kind of a catch 22 also because like I've forced, you know, I feel like my ear has gotten pretty good because I've had to learn uh, at this point over years, like I've had to learn a lot of pretty hard music by ear. And so I feel like, my ears have really developed, but then sometimes that can be kind of a crutch for learning to read because I can like end up kind of remembering things pretty quickly or like, I say that as if it's a bad thing, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It can kind of stand in the way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but you know, everybody's process is different. What's uh, what Joe and I actually talked about ear training a little bit on his episode. And I think it's really um, uh, one, one of those things kind of like, being able to sight read a little bit that, I mean, can just be such a huge help. And I'll, do you have like any sort of tips for people who might be scared to get into it? Maybe some little simple things to, to, yeah. to start. Absolutely. And this is like a really critically big thing for me it is, yeah, your training is kind of where it's at. And, and yeah, my big thing would be to, um, uh, work on being able to identify like 
if you're hearing a song, for example, like you say, you know, you're walking through the grocery store and something's playing, see if you can sing the note of the key the song is in. You know what I mean? Just like, just start with that. Like, just ground yourself in like, what key is this in? And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you need to know like the like oh this is an E flat. Like that doesn't matter if you can just sing, like you know. I don't know if I can sing any flat, but uh, but just be able to sing, you know, the tone of the, you know, the key you're in, and then see if you can hear like what the third is. See if you can hear what the fifth is, and just start with that. Like to me, that's kind of where everything. That's every, what everything's built on. Um, so that's big, and then just like try to like, you know. Uh, hear uh hear chord progressions you know if you can hear like when it goes to the four chord hear when it goes to the five chord just like get it in your ear as quickly as you can and you know try to divorce it from needing to look at anything right like needing to look at like notation or tab or the hands of the other people you're playing with like just see if you can recognize it's just like with speech you know if i if i inflect my voice a certain way you're going to, you're going to know intuitively, like reflexively, without even thinking about it. You're going to know that I'm asking you a question, and therefore it's your cue to say something, right? <laughs> right. See, I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ear trained. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, just, it's the same thing. It's absolutely the same thing. It's a language. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's I I love that, and uh, just like the the ability. I remember the first time I like recognized years and years and years ago though, but like hearing a recording where it was like an A chord to a G note to an E, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. I know exactly what that person's doing right now. <laughs> you yeah, know, I was just exactly. like, oh, I just heard that and know it. You know, and that's that's the whole thing. And the thing is, like, it's not like it's not like there's some next level where you're like hearing in some new way. It's that exact, that very same thing that you're describing just you know apply it to like you just widen the the scope of what you can do that thing with right or you can you know apply that to hearing a 251 or something right right so um i mean you've played with some pretty incredible mandolin players man i mean joe and and dominic and played with jake and then and then also the dog and so as a guitar player and this being a mandolin podcast what are some of these things that you that you've like kind of learned from some of these different players that, that you look for, that's going to help maybe somebody be a, um, a better mandolin player. And I guess specifically, let's start maybe with the dog, because that is, I mean, you know, in this world, it doesn't get much higher than, um, <laughs> than, than that, you know, no pun intended, no pun intended. Damn it. That was a good one too. All right. I'm leaving that in there for sure. Um, that's, but you know, like, in this acoustic music world, dog music, I mean, it's so so regarded and to play in that in that band, especially coming as a fan. Um, you know, I'd love to hear maybe a little bit about that and what that experience was like as a musician playing with a mandolin player of his caliber. Absolutely. I mean, David you know, well, first of all, before I ever played with him or thought I would ever play with him. Um, I was influenced by his compositional aesthetic and David really gave all of us 
permission to do a lot of things that we now take for granted. Um, you know, they say like every tradition started out as like an innovation, right? And now people talk about like traditional style bluegrass, you know, and, and it's like doing something that was absolutely radical in the 40s. Just, <laughs> right. Nobody considers it radical anymore. And David, you know, he did the same thing. I mean, just as sure as Bill Monroe or anybody else, like he invented this thing, which is like, you know, this ability to kind of synthesize different kinds of musical aesthetics, the ability to tell a compelling narrative with instrumental music, the, you know, kind of, and he gave us permission to, to kind of stretch and like find, find different kinds of sounds and influences and, and, you know, so, so that, that alone, if he, if he did nothing else, I mean, just speaking for myself like that, I, I, I would owe him so much. Um, uh, so that was, that was really huge. And that was, that was, like I said, before I met him, he, you know, he, he, he didn't do that intentionally to me, but, uh, but I think I owe a lot of my, I don't know my musical aesthetic and just kind of how I how I think about writing and arranging and and uh, what I think is possible. I think I really owe a lot to him. Um, and then in terms of being in his band, you know, he was. Uh, I mean, he knows what he wants to hear. Um, he is not afraid to tell you if you're like pushing the envelope too far for his aesthetic, which. You know, it's as a you know when I was in my early mid twenties, I think it was important for me to to hear that, and I, I was definitely, I mean, I, I'm I feel like my playing to some degree is kind of defined by a sort of like a searchingness and kind of like restless like exploration and stuff, and I'm totally okay with that. And a one result of that can be, um, I will often try just try things and it doesn't always I don't always come out sounding as clean as some other people might or you know it doesn't always like and I don't know if I don't always like hit what I'm trying to hit right so like so again like I'm I'm okay with that but of course he's the boss so he can he can say what he wants (laughs) right (laughs) you know so there were times when he would he would kind of tell me to like rein things in or maybe you know try to like just tone things down a little bit or um, so there, there might be something like that, you know, overtly, um, or explicitly, but then also implicitly just, you know, sitting or, or standing rather standing on stage with him and hearing what he can do with a couple notes, um, and incredible tone and feel was like extremely influential and extremely, uh, impressive um just just the like it's not even like swagger because it's not like machismo or something just like he has so much vibe and you know he can just get up to the mic he knows where to place his instrument so that he's like getting you know so he's like creating as much sound you know with the mic as he as he can and like and he and he can play three notes and it can be so powerful whereas you know someone else might play 30 and 
and it gets kind of lost in the wind. And so, you know, he taught me a lot about the value of space. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I don't feel like I've ever been the person who's had like a lot of chops really, or like, like I can't play like really fast and clean and stuff. Um, but as I, so I didn't have that to like worry about, <laughs> but as you know, I think one of the things I learned from him is like, it's okay to, to let space be part of what you're saying. And that continues to, and you know, I learned that from other people as well, but to be around him and, and hear, hear and see him utilizing that was, a uh, was really, uh, a, a big lesson. Man, that is cool. I mean, I could go on all day, but those, those are kind of the, the main points, I guess. Sure. What, um, how long did you play with him for? How long were you in the band? About six years. Wow, man. What a cool experience. It really was. Yeah, it was. And you know, we, it was during a time that uh, he wasn't as busy, so we weren't, you know, we weren't doing like big long tours or playing a ton of gigs, and so it was, you know, it definitely felt like kind of a part time job. Well, it was a part time job, um, but even still, it was like extremely, uh, ex- an extremely big deal for me at the time. Which this was your album out, which I love. Your Thank first, your self-titled solo album, was that out prior to that gig, or was did you record that while you were in the band with Dog? I recorded it while I was in the band, and in fact, to my memory, uh, the only time I ever missed, like, couldn't do a gig, which was kind of like you can't really not do a gig with that band. Like, you kind of have to show up. But there was one. I'm pretty sure, unless I'm misremembering, we we did the record over like the winter break. Of course, Dom and Alex were both at Berkeley at the time. Or no, no, sorry. Dom was at Berkeley. Alex was still in high school, I think. So he was like 16. Oh, wow. Which isn't like pretty incredible. That's insane, man. <laughs> yeah, he sounds, I mean, he sounds like as good as you could want on that record. And anyway, but uh, uh, there was like a New Year's Eve gig that I didn't end up doing because I was doing that. Uh, recording session and i think it was in alaska or something and it turned out julian subbed that gig for me oh get out of here really (laughs) yeah which is funny Uh, and i wish i wish i could go back and hear it because i'm sure it was incredible (laughs) wow yeah that would have been a cool yeah that'd be cool to hear too holy cow yeah and then we did a gig at the freight and salvage one time where julian happened to be in town and he sat in with us and that was really cool. So we did that. Yeah. Did that record, um, during, you know, during that time, it was, must've been in my first couple years in the band. Um, uh, cause yeah, it's, it's like 11 or 12 years ago now. No kidding. Yeah. Funny how time slips away. Yeah, that's for sure, man. And then what are some things like that you, you know, as, as as a guitar player now who has mandolin players play on their records, what are some suggestions you can give a person who wants to play professionally? Because you go to sessions. I mean, living in New York City, you probably experience all all sorts of different types of gigs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm sure you see all sorts of mistakes <laughs> and incredible things at the same time, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Are there mistakes? Well, that's that's a good point. We can save that for another discussion. <laughs> but, you know, more of like people, 
what I would consider maybe a mistake is going up there and trying to overrun the stage when you're invited up to play. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure it's it's a natural inclination to want to to show everything you've got. But there's also people who there's a right way, I guess, maybe to do that in a wrong way. That's just my opinion that I've seen. <laughs> you know? That, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. And I think to that point, I would say, I think what, what we should all, or what we would all do well to practice is just like put, you know, being an easy to deal with person kind of at the top of your <laughs> priority list in a musical situation. I think that's, that feels really important to me. Um, and that, that kind of plays out on a lot of different levels. Right. But it's certainly in the, in the, just like in the moment in a jam session, just like be cool. I think that's really important. I, I, that's, that's a big one, but also like, man, I mean, number one time, like get, get your time together, like make sure that you can play in time. Um, because that will, that's absolutely, that's number one. Time is everything. So practice with the metronome. Um, and you know, if you're going to play bluegrass or bluegrass related music, like learn tunes, make sure like learn a bunch of tunes. Cause that's where the vocabulary comes from. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, be curious, be willing to like, man, be willing to like take lessons and have people critique you. Um, obviously only at appropriate times. If somebody comes up and like vibes you and tells you you're playing bad in a jam session, that's, they're not being cool. So there's, that. yeah, yeah. Um, that's just, anyway, those etiquette. are just, that's just bad <laughs> etiquette. Yeah. But those are some thoughts. I think musically, yeah. Time feels like kind of number one. How do you use your time when practicing? Um, you seem like a, you seem like you might play a lot around home. I don't know if that's yeah, a, I do yeah for sure. And and I think oh, because I think part of that thing is um, how do you make good use of of time of practice time and some maybe tips that could help people because I think that's another thing, man, where you just can get overwhelmed with things you want to work on and then not work on anything. Absolutely, yeah. That's that that can be a dangerous prospect and i think allowing yourself to i mean it's okay to be like excited about something for a little while and pursue that thing for a little while like that's there's nothing wrong with that like it's that's totally normal um and like it's good to like make sure that you're being well-rounded so like if there's something that it feels like you don't know like don't you know don't spend too much energy like worrying about not the fact that you don't know this thing, but rather like spend that energy, like being curious about how can I learn about this thing? So if you don't know how to play in seven, like, or whatever, you know, put, put on a metronome and put it, set a timer for like 20 minutes and make yourself do that, you know, practice playing in seven for 20 minutes. And while the timer's on, you absolutely have to give it your focus and, focus only on that and the nice thing about the timer i find is that you will actually do it if, if it's open-ended then it's really easy to get distracted and, you know but if it's if you have a timer on then you know that window is going to it's it's finite you know the window is going to close and the time's going to be up so you might as well just 
keep your nose to the grindstone and do the thing, right? Because right. you know that it's going to end. So there are parameters around you and you don't have to worry about like, oh my God, this is this infinite thing. And then you'll have the satisfaction of, I practiced this thing for 20 minutes today. And then you have the sort of momentum of like, I did it for 20 minutes today. I can do it for 20 minutes tomorrow or I can do it for 20 minutes later this afternoon or whatever, you know. But I think finding ways to organize your time um, is a is a really powerful one, especially, you know, everybody's situation is different. People have jobs, you know, people have families. So it's like all the more incumbent on us, I think, to um, find ways to to maximize our, our usage of time. But also, like, it's fun, too. Music is fun, and that's why we do it, because it's fun and it makes us feel things. So don't forget that. Yeah, and so this kind of leads into one of the questions I ask uh, every episode. And um, I have a firm belief in that if you just pick up your instrument for 10 minutes a day, no matter how busy you are, you're going to get better at something. Exactly. And so I do like to ask, if you were to work on something 10 minutes today, what would be something that you would work on? Well, uh, today, probably just because it's something I was doing last night for a while. I haven't played it all today yet. Is um I've been playing uh, the tune All the Things You Are in just in different keys. Like it's it's usually in A flat and I've been just ex- just trying to get myself to just be able to do it in, you know, in C or in whatever in G, like all these different places and just really try to make sure that I can um see the way the harmony is moving regardless of like hand position, right? And like what, you know, what what shape I'm in and that kind of stuff, what shape I'm playing from, I mean. Um, so that's, the, you know, that's what I was working on yesterday. And that's what I'm going to, you know, presumably uh, when I have a chance to practice later today, uh, that's probably what I'll be working on. Although I'm also, I'm kind of in the middle of a, a writing project right now. So I'm also going to spend some time working on this tune I'm writing. Oh, Nice. Yeah. So, but you know, that's a different thing. That's not exactly. I mean, still hands on the instrument, probably, um, but it's not. It's not shedding in the same way. But um, yeah. But I love that. I love. There's just a million different ways people can go about it, and I think any one of these, just if one of these resonates with one listener, you know, then it's like, ooh, cool, mission accomplished, man. You know, it's different because mm. examples of all different players have different ways they work on things. I mean, that could be another thing too. Is just like take a take a tune that you know really well say whiskey before breakfast or whatever and like see if you can play it in like four different keys and see what that does you know you might find it's like really illuminating for something do you uh, do you currently own a mandolin i do it's uh it's one of those um do you remember those gibson f what is it f oh shit the dark brown ones like the, oh f- yeah the f9 so, F nine, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, man, those are cool. It's fine. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I think I haven't changed the strings in like five years or something, <laughs> and it doesn't really get a lot of love. I, I I got somebody somebody called me about a mandolin lesson um last year, and so like a Zoom thing, and so I gave this guy a couple lessons, and it's in it's really not in a very playable state, so it was kind of embarrassing because it's just like super out of tune like actions all messed up and and i kind of can't be bothered to uh sorry i don't mean to be so disrespectful of the mandolin no no not at all man 
I'm sure a lot of people listen to this might uh, also be relating it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, I do, I miss it sometimes, man. Like I, I, I really, I think sometimes in like a bluegrass jam situation, I think I like playing mandolin more because it's like, it's kind of fun and it's loud and, and it's not my real instrument. So, <laughs> so I don't have to like worry about sounding good. <laughs> Just because, you know, I'm not a mandolin player, so whatever I do, it's it's like, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Do you, do you have any other guys um, besides Dog that you listen to mandolin-wise at all that were, that you kind of liked or any people, any people that you, other people might not be familiar with maybe or as familiar with necessarily? Well, wow, that's an interesting question. I mean, I got to say, I know we've mentioned it, but but Dominic, I think, is really one of the bright lights of the current young generation so um, good just such a beautiful um really beautiful improviser and like really wonderfully creative uh creative player and even am- among the even younger cats uh ethan Sitiawan is fantastic he's writing really nice music um let's see who else is out there I mean, sometimes, you know, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music and sometimes I will go long stretches of time without listening to anything that's even remotely related to, to like bluegrass or kind of Americana stuff. So, sure. so I sometimes feel like I'm a little out of the loop, but interestingly, I recently heard a, uh, John Abercrombie record where he was playing mandolin oh, and he really? sounded great. Yeah. selfishness i asked that question too because i'm always looking to find you know something something different that i might be able to hear pick of some course, sort of influence yeah. up from i i mean my playlist is like i think spotify is probably thinks i uh give my password to about 20 different people <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> they're just like what is there's no way this is one guy listening to all this stuff <laughs> That's like, funny. it is let's listen to motley crew now <laughs> <laughs> there's like um i mean i know that I don't know if it's playing real well, but from what I've heard, that guy Aaron Weinstein is like, oh, is totally incredible, unbelievable man. Yeah. He does that uh, that comping stuff for the, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's and really such a great. cool. I, I interviewed him early on in the podcast, and he's just as cool as. It's funny his playing. You mentioned Dominic. I think Dominic's Dominic's mandolin playing matches his personality, like from the times I've talked with him and dealt with him and hung out with him. He, it's his playing seems just like, like, like him. I'm like, yeah, wow, I know man. What you mean. Yeah. I mean, I don't know him that well, but when I met him, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that he plays, you know, needs reminds me of how he plays mandolin. Yeah. I know what you mean. So yeah. and what else you got coming? You got anything else coming out this year? I know Joe mentioned maybe Mr. Sun might be putting out, uh, the release. Yeah, Mr. Sun record. It's it's been in the can for a little while, and it's uh, it's on its way. I, I I don't exactly know when it's coming, but I know it's coming. So that's very exciting. There's some really nice tunes on that. Um, I think it's 
it's a lot of original music. It's not all. There's, I think, I think we did like a Charles Mingus tune on that record. I think you did. Uh, is that the one? Did you guys do Blackbird for that too? Kind of braced on. The, That's right. Uh, of course. Yeah, we did Blackbird. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really happy. We, we did a nice arrangement of that with like a. We added a little kind of new solo section for Daryl, which I think came out nicely. And uh, yeah, I'm actually really psyched about that record. So whenever it comes out, I'll. I'll uh, well, I'm sure you'll know about it. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited to hear it. I've just loved everything uh, that you guys have done. And just your playing, man. I just love your playing. I love your your compositions and your phrasing. And again, like... Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. I, I You're one of the guys I like to listen to because you find those notes that I don't think about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like I do I just, know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that made, it inspires me to be like, what is that and why does that work there? And why do I find that interesting? Like, why did that grab my ear? You know? And it, Man, I know that feeling because people that I like to listen to, I have that feeling about where it's like, man, I would never think to do that. You know, even if it's like a tune I know really well or something, it's just, you know, there's a, I always talk about this guitarist, Lage Lund, who's like kind of my, one of my favorite kind of jazz guitarists. And um, one of the things I like about him, aside from just like extremely harmonically deep guy, is uh, just even if he's playing a standard a tune, I, I know as, as well as anything, like, you know, just like, he's always going to do something that I never would have thought of, you know? And so it is with a lot of, a lot of players that I like. play a pretty fast right hand that gets pretty boring after a while like i just find myself rolling my own eyes <laughs> you know like every time i take a solo then i resort to oh i'll just do this 30 second note flourish i'm like ugh, gross <laughs> yeah that's a tricky one man yeah. it's hard too because you don't like you know ideally you don't want to be thinking about what you're playing like we want to save that for the practice room well that's yeah that's the problem but usually my gigs are three hours long and it's just so easy to fall back on like, you know, after a while you kind of run out of ideas. But then every time I do that, I finish like, why don't I just try to find cooler notes to play on these tunes? <laughs> you know, you know, I saw this thing. There's this pianist, Aaron Parks, that I really like a lot. And I just saw this tiny little snippet of a, of him doing a um, like a uh, a clinic somewhere. And he said something like, you know, when you're playing a tune or whatever and you, you're soloing and you leave space, even if it's like two bars or three bars, it always feels longer to you than it does to the audience. And he's basically like giving giving people permission to use that as much as they're using the notes they play. And I've been thinking about that a lot that like, you know, and I always I already try to employ space as much as I can. But but I think there is something to that idea that like it always feels like it. And it's, and it's an interesting thing to like explore that moment of almost like panic. Like when you leave, when you leave space and you're like, Oh my God, am I supposed to do something now? What if I, <laughs> right. what if I never get out of this hole? You know? Like, yeah. 
And it's kind of cool to lean into that feeling and wonder what that's about. Like, you know, what, what is it going to mean to what I say next, you know, that I had this space here. And then yeah. after that, you know, so I, I've been thinking a lot about that, but it's funny to hear you describe playing gigs. Cause man, I haven't been playing gigs this last year. <laughs> <laughs> I had six last week. It That's was amazing. Um, yeah, I mean it's great. Uh, there, I, I mean I'm super fortunate because I live in Charleston, South Carolina, so they're all outdoors. There's every, great, you man. know every place we play is an outdoor setting, and you know so you can be as safe as possible. You know, and you're responsible. You know, I feel like I'm responsible for my own <laughs> safety, anyways. You know, so I <laughs> not that everybody is, but um, oh, yeah, it's fantastic, been great. Man. It's like yeah, it's having the opportunity to keep playing. It's so great. And then I do have to ask if you have a favorite beer. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I was just thinking, um, <laughs> I was thinking about being in Rome a couple years ago. And I was thinking about how we, uh, my wife or my, my now wife and I were there. Uh, and it was in July. So it was extremely hot. And, Every once in a while, I dip into a cafe and have a Peroni. Oh yeah, and like I'm definitely, you know, I don't, I don't know that much about beer or anything, but uh, man, a Peroni on a hot day was really, really very nice. <laughs> so for some reason, I was thinking about that recently. Oh, that's great. Um, and so, yeah, but you know, I mean, I, I've been known to enjoy a beer here or there. I guess. Uh, um, gosh, well, yeah, I didn't really think to prepare an answer for this. So I, <laughs> so that that's my answer. I'll Peroni on a hot day. Yeah, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I can I can relate to that. So, well, Grant, congratulations on the new album. It Thanks really so is so great. And I just want to thank you for doing the podcast, but also for being like a huge influence like that. That solo album really, uh, I mean, I still listen to it a lot. And it really is, you know, really been a big help to me musically. And I really appreciate it, man. That's and I appreciate amazing. all you do. Well, that's so nice of you to say. And I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, I'm starting to rumble a little bit about doing something to follow that one. So wow. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, please do. Please do. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Grant. Man, what a pleasure to talk to you. It's been yeah, great to hang. the feeling is mutual. Hopefully we can do it in person sometime. Yeah, look forward to that. All right, there you go, Grant Gordy, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. Talk to you all next week. I'm going to leave you with a tune from Grant's self-titled solo album here, Motif for Leaf. Cheers, y'all. Mm-hmm.